Well, good morning, good afternoon, and depending on where you are and when you are listening, good evening. This is Taiwan Roundup, a roundup of news and other features specifically aimed at the English-speaking community in Taiwan. It is the first week of November, and if I said 2019, you might not even bat an eye, because it sure doesn't feel like 2021. I don't know about you, but I don't know where the last two years have gone. But here we are. It is, in fact, 2021, <laughs> if you were wondering. And it is Turkey Month, November. Thanksgiving is also one of my favorite holidays, although I didn't really grow up celebrating Thanksgiving. We don't really celebrate Thanksgiving in South Africa, but I've come to appreciate it living in Taiwan with my North American friends. I quite like it. It's a happy holiday that you give thanks, and at least that's how I understand it. I might be completely wrong about it. I wonder what you got up to for Halloween. I uh, stayed out too late. I uh, did go to some new bars in uh, uh, Herping Road, in that uh, Herping Roosevelt Road area. Very nice. That was fun. But a little bit too much fun. I have since developed a bit of a cough, which is very problematic because I've also recently started taking the MRT again. And coughing on public transportation is practically an act of war in 2021. I mean, you are much better off having a broken leg, I think, than coughing on public transportation. So... Yeah, what I'm doing is uh, drinking hot tea, rooibos tea, because it doesn't have any caffeine in it. And during the day, I'll perk it up with some English breakfast tea to give myself a bit of a caffeine bump. And I'm putting bay leaves in it. And I was wondering if that is something that I'm doing and why I'm doing it, and if other people know about the benefits of bay leaves. Um, I buy mine at Carrefour, but they've been out the last couple of times I've gone. So I now get them online. And I put three or four leaves with two tea bags and boil it for a few minutes and then let it stand. And then, I mean, then you have choices how you can drink it. You could either add a little bit of honey. The bay leaves do have a slightly bitter taste. But there's something in the bay leaves that immediately relaxes your chest. You stop this coughing frenzy. And it also, re not releases, but sort of loosens the mucus in your upper respiratory. So, um, yeah, I don't know. It works really well for me. I've been using it for a long time, but I thought I'd just share that. So I went online and had a look at bay leaves. And it seems bay leaves have quite a few uh, properties that should be shared. They are antibacterial, antifungal. They're, an they're an antioxidant, anti-inflammatory properties as well. And they help process the body's insulin efficiently because of the antioxidants. They also contain vitamin A, vitamin C, iron, potassium, calcium, as well as magnesium. So, yeah, I don't know if you want to try it. We're going into winter. God forbid any of us start coughing. If you want to try it and you're not too keen on having cough medicine or whatever else is sold over the shelf and you want to try something more natural, go ahead and get yourself some bay leaves. Anyway, we have a lot to get through on this first week of November. I want to focus on a couple of stories about Taiwan written in the uh, international 
media as well as uh, the Taiwan media. But first, I'm going to discuss some global news and some a little bit about entertainment and so on. I suspect we're going to run around about an hour to an hour and a half for the show. And uh, yeah, without further ado, let's get this show on the road, as they say. Right, we're going to start the global news roundup with a story from the Associated Press. And it has to do with Queen Elizabeth, the uh, 95-year-old monarch from England. Queen Elizabeth II has been advised to rest for at least two weeks, accepting doctors' recommendations to take it easy and only perform light duties and not travel, the Buckingham Palace said this week. The decision comes days after the 95-year-old sovereign underwent medical tests and spent a night in the London's King Edward Hospital, her first such a stay-in in 80 years. That actually confused me. I was like, what? She's never been sick in 80 years? But she stayed in the hospital for the first time in 80 years. So I'm guessing, you know, being the queen and all, she probably has people coming to where she is to treat her. And she doesn't uh, stay in the hospital. So this was her actual first stay in in the hospital. I mean, really, let's face it, ever in her life. I mean, if 15 was the time before that, and she's now 95. So Queen Elizabeth has continued to work. And has since uh, done, she's continued to work since then and will press on with desk-based duties, but she will skip the November 13 Festival of Remembrance at the Albert, Royal Albert Hall in London. The event is meant to honour the British and Commonwealth men and women who fought wars, disasters, pandemics uh, to protect the nation, defend and protect the nation. This part of the story uh, seems quite serious, but then she was spotted this week driving around Windsor Castle, driving her doggies. She has these corgis or whatever you call them that she likes very much. And it seems she drives them from one part of the estate to another. And uh, that's where they go for their walk. The best part about the story, I think, well, best part in terms of uh, finding out about it, not so much the the advice that she's been given. She has also been advised to no longer enjoy her evening gin martinis. <laughs> Seems that she quite likes her evening gin martinis. I don't know if this is one or more. I'm hoping it's just not just one. Either way, the doctors have said that you should give those up. And I think uh, she's going to take their advice, which... Yeah, it's kind of a, a fun little thing to imagine the Queen sipping on a gin martini. Also staying with the Associated Press, dad bod, FTW, am I right? These are all words that have been added to, added to the dictionary. The Merriam-Webster Dictionary has added 455 new words, including a number of abbreviations, and slang terms that have become ubiquitous with social media. Just as the language never stops evolving, the dictionary never stops expanding. The nearly 200-year-old Springfield, Massachusetts company said on their website, new terms and new uses of existing terms are constant, 
in the living language. The dictionary company said the quick and informal nature of messaging, texting, tweeting has, which is increasing during the pandemic, has contributed to a vocabulary newly rich in efficient and abbreviated expression. Among them, THB, an abbreviation, to be honest, and FTW, an abbreviation for the win. I did not know that one, but we won't tell anyone. I think the more of these things you know, these abbreviations, the younger you are, so we'll all pretend like we knew. Marion Webster explains that FTW is used especially to express approval or support in social media. FTW is often used to acknowledge a clever or funny response to a question or a meme. And it says, am I right? A-M-I-R-I-T-E is a quick way to write, am I right? In English, spelling is consistently inconsistent. Am I right? <laughs> the corona pandemic, coronavirus pandemic, also looms large in the collection of new entrants as super spreader, long COVID and vaccine passports made the list. Partisan politics contributed more slang to the lexicon, such as whataboutism, which Merriam-Webster defines as the act or practice of responding to an accusation of wrongdoing by claiming that an offence committed by another is similar or worse. For Britons, the dictionary notes that whataboutery is a more commonly used term. The dreaded voteramas, <laughs> vote-a-ramas, uh, that have become a fixture in, US, in the US con Congress is explained this way. An unusually large number of debates and votes that happen in one day on a single piece of legislation, which an unlimited number of amendments can be introduced, debated, and voted on. It does sound quite good. Votorama sounds like a mess to me. And still, other new terms come from the culinary world, such as fluffernutter, <laughs> the homey sandwich of peanut butter, marshmallow creme, and white bread. Gross. Horchata, horchata, the cold sweetened beverage. A cold sweetened beverage brewed, made from ground rice or almonds. Isn't that just almond milk then? And usually flavored with cinnamon or vanilla. Also made the cut. And chicharron, chicharron, a popular fried pork belly or pork or pig skin snack. Goodness me. As for dad bod, ooh. The dictionary defines that as a physique regarded as typical of an average father, especially that one that is slightly overweight and not extremely muscular. I wonder how many fathers are going to have issue with that. I wouldn't be happy with that. It's not a very nice word, is it? Dad bod. Mm. Right, this is from the new scientists. And unless you've been completely cut off from Facebook, 
and Instagram and WhatsApp. You may not have noticed that they have gone up and down a couple of times. And that is due, well, people speculate it's due, it's not been confirmed, to something that's happened. The main company, Facebook, has changed their name. Not to be confused with the social media service that we all use called Facebook. So you can think of Facebook, the uh, social media service, which is then umbrellaed with this huge company called also Facebook, which of course would create some confusion, which is probably part of the reason why they changed the name of the big company to Meta. Prepare for plenty of confusion in the coming months because Facebook, whose products are used by more than 3 billion people worldwide, has decided to rebrand itself. Here's everything you need to know. So, what happened? After plenty of speculation, Facebook, the company that owns the platforms including Facebook, Instagram and WhatsApp, rebranded as Meta on the 28th of October. CEO Mark Zuckerberg told attendees at the company's annual Connect conference, right now our brand is tightly linked to one product that it can't possibly represent everything that we're doing today, let alone the future. Over time, I hope that we are seen as a metaverse company and I want to anchor our work and identity on what we're building towards that. Uh, in an important, it is important to note that Facebook, WhatsApp and Instagram will be keeping their own names. However, the company that produces and maintains them will now be called Meta, similar to Google in 2015 when it restructured into a parent company called Alphabet. I did not know that. Facebook, the company, even changed their logo outside the building on the 28th of October. Well, that was quick, announce and change. So what is a metaverse? The name was chosen to echo the key product that Mark Zuckerberg hopes Facebook, now Meta, <laughs> will represent by the metaverse. The name for a shared online 3D virtual space that a number of companies are interested in creating as sort of a future vision version of the internet. In this future, you will be able to teleport instantly as a hologram, oh my goodness, to the office without a commute, at a concert with friends, or to your parents' house living room for a catch-up, Zuckerberg wrote in a letter announcing Facebook rebranding as Meta. I've seen so many memes about this, and I'm sure lots will come out. But the concerning thing is, if they're just changing the name, I don't know why the system keeps going down. Lots of uh, people have been complaining about Instagram and Facebook being down. Even some people complaining about um, uh, things disappearing from their accounts. So hopefully they'll sort it out soon enough because we have... Of course, become way too reliant on all of these things. This one is from AccuWeather. And it says, three meteor showers could spark fireballs in the November sky. November's meteor showers will bring opportunities to catch a glimpse of a shooting star and even an incredibly bright fireball. Ooh. A bunching of stars, known as the Pleiades star cluster, will also be visible in the night sky shortly after nightfall throughout November. 
This bunching of stars is also known as the Seven Sisters and is associated with an approaching winter season, according to Earth and Sky. The Pleiades can be seen almost every night on a clear night, but to see the top celestial events of the month, of the month you will have to mark these dates on your calendar. The Taurid meteor shower will occur early in November, the first of two meteor showers in November that are not particularly strong, but they might be worth looking at on a cloud-free night in the first half of the month. The southern Taurid meteor shower will peak during the first week of November, followed by the northern Taurid shower that will peak the week after. Both of the showers have broad peaks rather than peaking on one specific night and only offer around 5 meteors per hour. Oh, that's not a lot. However, both showers are known for their spectacular fireballs. When the two showers are actively active simultaneously in late October and early November, there's sometimes noticeable increase in fireball activity. The American Meteor Society, AMS, explained. I don't know what I would do if I see a fireball. I probably think it's an alien spacecraft. Like many meteor showers, some meteors will start to appear after nightfall, but the best time to view the torrid will be after midnight local time. Onlookers do not need to look at a specific direction as the meteors or and or fireballs could streak anywhere in the sky. That is a lot of space to look at. Then we get to the Leonid meteor shower, which is specifically on the 17th and 18th of November. The third meteor shower of November could prove to be the most active as the Leonid peak one night of the Wednesday, the 17th of November into the early mornings of Thursday, the 18th of November. The Leonid are best known for producing meteor storms in past years, 1833, 1866, 1966, 1999, and 2001, the AMS said. During these outbursts, hourly rates ranged from 1,000 to 100,000 meteors per hour. Oh, wow. Creating some of the most mesmerizing displays in recent history. Unfortunately, the outbursts, an outburst like that is not anticipated for this year with only 10 to 15 meteors per hour expected. Similar to the Orionids, a full moon on the 19th of November will shine on the peak night of the Leonids, but some shooting stars could still be seen as meteors associated with the Leonids tend to be brighter than those from other meteor showers throughout the year. I added that uh, 19th of November. I looked up when the full moon is, and so, yeah. It's actually... It's actually quite dark tonight, uh, and I was looking up at the sky, and the stars are quite bright. So it makes sense that in about two weeks' time it will be full moon again. Oh, and now there's more news from poor Princess Mako. Uh, I covered a story about her wedding and all the controversy about that last week, and she's in the news again. This is from Japan Today. The name of Princess Mako's new husband is not on the New York bar exam pass list. The name of the newlywed husband of former prince, former princess Mako, was not on the pass list of the New York state bar exam released on Friday 
by the organizers. The results were announced days after Kai Komuru married the niece of the Emperor of Japan. The couple are planning to start their new life in New York as early as next month. Komuru has already started working as a law clerk at a, law, a legal firm in New York after graduating from Fordham University's law school. He took the bar examination in July. Okay, now you have to pay attention to the numbers. 9,227 people took the test and 5,791 passed. So first of all, they need to start thinking about the pass rate of this because if my calculations are right, that's not a very good pass rate. According to the examination, examination uh, board, but the listed names on their website was only 5,785. So 5791 passed, 5785 were listed. So there were six names missing, leaving it unclear whether Mr. Kamuro passed the exam. The executives of the board told the Kyodo News the names of the successful applicants may not all be announced due to administrative reasons. Mr. Komodo will not comment on the matter. A person close to the couple said, well, that leaves way too much speculation. This poor couple has been to hell and back already. I wish they uh, could go and live in peace somewhere and not be bothered all the time. Right. This one's kind of a scary story. This is from the... Um, China Morning Post, but as you can imagine, it's also all over all the Israeli newspapers. Iranian hackers have attacked Israel's gay dating sites and threatened to leak information. Hackers have threatened to extensively publish data from the Israeli lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender and queer LGBTQ dating site called Adraf. The operators uh, do not play the equivalent of, uh, if the operators do not pay the equivalent of 1 million US dollars to them. We are dealing with an Iranian cyber terror event. Israeli television quoted from a statement by the website operators on Sunday. They are working to bring the service back, but will only do so with full security, including resetting the passwords of all the users. Well, I guess if they have lots of users, that's going to take some time. According to the Israeli media reports, the hacker group Black Shadow is allegedly made of Iranians. Is Iran and Israel are arch enemies. Ooh, that's a bit harsh. The Atrof dating site was compromised after Black Shadow hacked CyberSurf, an Israeli internet company provider whose clients include public transportation firm, museums and a travel company. According to Israel's report, the hackers are already the hackers had already published sensitive data. Users of Atrof were worried that they would be outed unintentionally. Several people have also reported their HIV infections on the network. Iran had on Sunday blamed Israel and the US for a cyber attack on the nationwide petroleum petrol station network. Investigations are ongoing, but our estima estimations, in our estimations, the Americans and the Israelis are definitely behind it, Iran's head of cybersecurity department said, according to the media reports. Oh, right, so they're just going back and forth at each other. Meanwhile, there are innocent people that don't really want their personal details out there being compromised.
that's that's not a good situation. I want to switch gears and talk a little bit about life and health topics. And this is from a doctor that I follow on Twitter called Dr. Rhonda Patrick. And she posted an interesting thing on Twitter this week. Researchers have created compounds called peptides that can neutralize SARS-CoV-2 and several variants. Like antibodies, the peptides bind to the ACE2 receptor and block the virus from binding, preventing infection. The peptides have greater specificity than small monocule drugs, lowering the risk of side effects. They work similar to antibodies but are 100 times cheaper to produce, which makes them a great candidate for antiviral therapeutics. So that is quite good news, I think. Another doctor that I follow is Dr. Andrew Weil, and he focuses more on sort of alternative medicine, which is a combination between Western medicine and homeopathic and Chinese medicine, whatever works best, he sort of jumps between them. And this week he wrote something about green tea, red wine and chocolate. Dr. Weil considers green tea, red wine and chocolate to be great sources of antioxidants in the diet. Green tea has been shown to lower the risk of mortality. Other studies show that red wine has beneficial effects on cardiovascular health, but Dr. Weil stresses the importance <laughs> to moderate alcohol intake. Oh, come on, Dr. Weil, don't be like that. Even dark chocolate has been shown to decrease blood pressure when introduced into the daily diet. Uh, I'm not crazy about dark chocolate. I know it's good for you, but if I'm going to eat something, I want a creamy milk chocolate. I don't want dark, crumbly chocolate. Well, I guess there's different types of dark chocolate I'm sure they but I bought some chocolate last night it was actually not I took one bite and I actually threw it away I was like this is not worth the calories this is another article about uh, from Dr. Weil that he posted and I want to read it I saw it this week and it actually inspired me to go and get this it's called Guasa if you haven't done it you absolutely have to do it I'll read the article and then I'll explain my experience a therapy of traditional Chinese medicine called guasa is a century-old healing technique used to treat chronic pain. During the treatment, a trained professional uses a smooth-edged tool to stroke or scrape over the skin. The goal is to increase circulation in the soft tissue. Practitioners believe that guasa can also address stagnant qi, which is universal life energy, and improve its flow throughout the body, reducing inflammation and prom promoting health. Some studies have examined the possibility, the possible health effects of guasa. For example, in 2011, a randomized control trial uh, had, uh, at 2011, a randomized control looked at the effects on 48 people with chronic neck pain. Half were treated with guasa, and those in the controlled group were treated with a heating pad. The researchers found that the participants who received the guasa had significant resolution in their pain and, and improvements in their quality of life after a week, compared to those in the control group. Other studies of individual patients suggest that guasa is associated with reducing migraines, oh that's interesting, decreased liver inflammation and benefits in addressing other conditions, but more research is needed. During the treatment with guasa, a practitioner, often a Chinese medicine practitioner or an acupuncturist or a massage therapist applies an oil or a balm to your skin. They then run the guasa tool, which may be made of jade, stone, 
plastic, metal, or another substance over an affected area of your body. If you receive guasa for musculoskeletal pain, the practitioner may focus on the back, neck, buttocks, <laughs> arms, legs, and in a deep scraping motion with downward pressure. If it's your head or face, the strokes will likely be lighter and less intense. The pressure of the guasa can result in broken capillaries and bruising. While this may be alarming, it is temporary. So I went last night. I used to do this quite often. And in Taiwan, the, the, the hair wash, the salons that do hair washes. Why can I not think what that is? A hair salon. Goodness me. The hair salons. They often offer this as an extra to your hair wash. So you sit down, you have your hair wash, they give you a bit of a massage, they rub oil over your back, so you of course have to wear sort of a loose-fitting shirt. And then they, there's someone in the salon that comes over and sort of does guasa on your shoulders and your upper back. Uh, this is not a medical practitioner. This is a uh, girl at the hair wash salon. So I don't think it's that uh, serious if you just do it on those spots I would, I've never done it on my face I don't think I'd do it on my face so anyway I'm in a small town and I went for Guasa last night I was asking someone uh, to suggest a, a place to do it I got a hair wash and then one of the ladies in the salon does the Guasa and she does it with a coin it's the first time I've ever had it with a coin and because I haven't done it in a long time it was quite painful I used to do it at least once a month and I have to say I'm 100% sold when you do it it does look quite shocking your back goes all purple and red but it lasts only for like 24 hours or so and then you feel really wonderful there is something about warming the skin and releasing those those uh, the heat from your body that that does something that makes you feel much better especially if you feel like you're getting a flu which I did yesterday I felt a little bit like you know I needed to take some extra vitamins and things but uh, the problem is it's a fine line between actually getting hurt and having the benefits from doing it yesterday when she did it I it's the first time I've gone to this place and I was shy and I should have said something but I didn't and I thought well you know maybe I'm just being babyish right now because I haven't done it for a while and it should hurt that much but I should have told her to go a bit lighter because actually today I'm uncomfortable if you sit the next day and you push against your back and it still hurts I think they've done they've done it a bit too aggressively so I'll definitely go back but I think next time I will be more confident to speak up and say, look, you know, it needs to hurt a little bit, but it shouldn't hurt quite that much. Now I'm going to look at something from Japan today again. And Squid Game is again in the news this week. The characters are drawn from the director's own life. Oh my goodness. Many characters in the Netflix sensation Squid Game is loosely based on its South Korean director's own life. He believes its theme of economic inequality has resonated with viewers around the world. I am going to believe it because I shall not watch this at all. I already have problems sleeping and watching this show. I would definitely not sleep again. But it does seem like everybody who has watched it really did enjoy it. So kudos to the director for making a hit show. This is from NASA. It's a long article. I don't know if I'm going to get through the whole article, but I'll just give you the highlights. So NASA... Jupiter's red spot is over 200 miles, 350 kilometers deep. It is, and its polar cyclones barely change location over time. The new findings from the Juno mission give a fuller picture of the planet's turbulent atmosphere. The new findings from NASA's Juno probe orbiting Jupiter provide a fuller picture 
of how the planet's distinctive and colorful atmosphere features offer clues to the unseen processes below the clouds. The results highlight the inner workings of the belts and zones of clouds encircling Jupiter, as well as the polar cyclones and even the Great Red Spot. Juno's microwave radiometer, the MWR, allows the mission scientists to peer below Jupiter's cloud tops and probe the structure of its numerous vortex storms. The most famous of these storms is the iconic anticyclone known as the, red, the Great Red Dot. Wider than Earth, this crimson vortex has intrigued scientists since the discovery almost two centuries ago. The new results show that the cyclones are warmer on top with lower atmospheric density, while they are cooler at the bottom with higher density. Anticyclones, which rotate in the opposite direction, uh, are cooler at the top and warmer at the bottom under, under normal circumstances. The findings also indicate that the storms are far taller than expected, with some extending 60 miles, 100 kilometers, below the clouds than others including the Great Red Dot, extending over 200 miles, 350 kilometers. This surprise discovery demonstrates that the vortexes cover regions beyond those where water condenses from clouds from cloud form, below the depth where the sunlight warms the atmosphere. The height and size of the Great Red Spot means the concentration of atmospheric mass within the storm potentially could be detectable by instruments studying Jupiter's gravity field. Two close flybys over Jupiter's famous spot by the Juno provide the opportunity to search for the storm's gravity signature and complement the MWR results on this depth. On its depth, okay, so that's a mouthful. So basically, it's a lot bigger and a lot deeper than we thought. I don't know exactly what that means. So it goes below the surface of where water condenses. I don't know. Yeah. I guess I'm going to have to do more research. But anyway, that's from NASA. Exciting that we're still learning from Jupiter as well. Oh, I like this story. This is the a story from the BBC. Sitting Bull's DNA confirms that he has a great-grandson. The interesting thing is, I'll, I'll read you the research, but the interesting thing is there's two images here. There's an image of the sitting bull, and then there's an image of this fellow that they're talking about, the great-grandson. And honestly, just by looking at the pictures, the similarities are striking. <laughs> you, don't need to, you don't need to have this world-class research to, to know that there's some kind of similarity. But anyway, so the famous sitting bull who led 1,500 Native American warriors to battle at Little Bighorn in 1876 has a great-grandson. A sample of the hair belonging to the legendary 19th century Native American leader Sitting Bull has allowed scientists to confirm that a South Dakota man is his great-grandson. It showed that Ernie LaPointe, 73, is his great-grandson. The new method allows analysis of family lineages with DNA fragments from long-dead people. It opens the door to prospects of matching their historic figures to living descendants. Historic figures to living descendants. 
The new method was developed by scientists led by Dr. Willerschleff, director of the Lud Ludek Foundation Geo Geogenetic Center at the University of Cambridge. The novel technique is based on what is known as autosomal DNA in, a, in the genetic fragments extracted from hair. It took 14 years to perfect the method. Oh, wow. Oh, not Mr. Sorry, Dr. Mr. Willerschleff said that he had been fascinated by Sitting Bull since he was a child and offered his services to Mr. Lapointe another uh, around a decade ago. Sitting Bull's scalp lock was repatriated to Mr. Lapointe by the Smithsonian Institution in Washington, D.C. in 2007. Why do they have hair of this man in some kind of museum or whatever? That's weird. That is very strange. But before handing over the lock, Mr. Lapointe asked Mr. Willerschleff to take part in a ceremony involving a medicine man, drummers and some chanting where Sitting Bull's spirit had to give a blessing towards the study. The scientists told the AFP news agency Mr. Lapointe burned the majority of the lock, oh wow, in line with what the spirit had instructed, leaving the researchers with only a small four centimeter piece. Mr. Willerschleff believed it was disastrous at the time. I would imagine so. <laughs> However, this forced the team to develop an innovative method. The new innovative method, he said. Sitting Bull, whose real name was Tatanka Loitaka, famously led 1,500 Native American warriors at the Battle of Little Bighorn in 1876, wiping out U.S. General Custer's and five companies of soldiers. Custer and five companies of shoulders. He was shot dead in 1890 by the Indian police who acted on behalf of the US government. Oh, okay, so I see. So they, they developed this specific type of DNA testing because they only had a very small lock of the hair left. If they had a bigger lock, they may not have come to this very innovative way of testing DNA. So it worked out best. If you are at all superstitious, then perhaps the spirit of Sitting Bull knew that this was going to happen and he had to give them a smaller window of uh, possibilities that they could work with so that they would work smarter and potentially be more innovative. Whereas if they had more hair, they would have been a bit more um, uh, less urgent to the matter, I would, I would imagine. But that's, that's kind of fun, isn't it? But like I said, the, if you look at the pictures, listen, <laughs> they should have just sent me the pictures. I could have told them that there's definitely a, uh, a family relationship there. This is from Vanity Fair, which I found quite uh, entertaining. If you have Netflix or if you read at all about entertainment, you'll know that Dave Chappelle's new special has created quite a stir on all sides of the spectrum. And the Vanity Fair headline reads, of course, Caitlyn Jenner is defending Dave Chappelle. If there is one thing Caitlyn Jenner is going to do, it's involve herself in some drama. <laughs> I'm guessing Vanity Fair is not crazy about her. The ex keeping up with a Kardashian star who unsuccessfully ran for governor of California. Wow, just list all of her failings. <laughs> Earlier this year, 
is lending her support to Dave Chappelle amid a controversial the controversy controversy surrounding comments he made on about transgender community in his Netflix special The Closer. Dave Chappelle is a hundred percent right. Jenna tweeted, "This isn't about LGBTQ the LGBTQ movement. It's about woke culture gone run amok, trying to silence free speech." We must never yield or bow to those who wish to stop us from speaking our minds. Oh, go Jenner, go Caitlin. Well, she's tr- that's right. I mean, I don't know if she's doing that to virtue signal, but definitely need to keep free speech free. <laughs> Alrighty, Taipei Times. We're going into the Taiwan News Roundup now. Taiwanese sandal giant... New publicity after New York road race is the headline. A Taiwanese ultramarathoner turned heads on Saturday when he decided in the middle of a 4,989-kilometer race in New York City to change his running shoes for a pair of sandals, bringing an unexpected attention to the Taiwanese manufacturer of the flip-flops. Out of a field of seven marathon runners, Lo, Lo Wei Ming crossed the finish line in second place, wearing sandals. Only seven? That's weird. Lo, the first Asian to complete a gru- the grueling ch- challenge, finished with a time of oh, 48 days, 11 hours, 52 minutes, and... One second. (laughs) Bloody hell. Get an Uber, mate. But it was his footwear that might have left the most long-lasting impression for the long-distance runner. The sandals were made by B&M Chaiman, C-A-I-M-A-N, with materials sourced from Formosa Plastics Corp. B&M Chaiman's online, uh, Chaiman's line of oyster tech Antimicrobial Y sandals are made of ethylene vinyl acetate, EVA, Formosa Plastics executive who asked not to be named, said on Monday. Why doesn't he want to be named? EVA tends to be softer than rubber, has good elasticity, absorbs shock well, and and forms a lighter, more comfortable shoe that hugs the foot better then footwear with rubber soles, the executive said. Wow, that's a mouthful. It sounds fantastic, though. Those qualities led low to make the switch mid-race. The long-distance runner said that running shoes provide good protection, but using them for long periods of time can lead to swollen feet or blisters. However, the sandals gave him the comfort and support that he needed. Lowe added, an anti, the antibacterial powder made from recycled oyster shells, is added to the manufacturing process and gives the sandals an antibacterial property. However, the executive, the one who doesn't want to be named, said it is tricky. If the amount added is not exactly right, the powder, which preliminarily consists of calcium carbonate, can render the EVA material too hard, neutralizing its strength. (laughs) Okay, so... I read this and, of course, I went to the website and bought some of these sandals. The website is www.2, as in the number 2, bm.com.tw. 
tw. So betamother.com.tw, 2bm.com.tw. They have sandals ranging from 180 to 1,080 or even more. And it's not only sandals. They've got kind of Crocs type looking sandals. They've got the flip-flop type sandals. They've got uh, house slippers. They've got dress shoes. They've got running shoes. They've got all kinds of shoes. Uh, men's, women and children. They have rain boots. I bought your typical uh, flip-flop sandal type thing that you'd wear in the house I bought one with a higher bridge and one with a more rounded thicker sole and I absolutely love them so much so that I'd actually gone back to the same website I bought some shoes that are very flat and my feet need a bit of a bridge so I bought from the same company just the the inner things that you put in shoes those soles the rubbery soft things so I've got those and I also bought some socks from them so yeah I have uh, (laughs) suddenly become one of their most favorite customers i like it i really enjoyed it i have to say so this is a bit more serious this is the american conservative publication it's by peter van buren and living in taiwan we hear a lot about this uh, adiz fly zone and chinese airplanes flying in it but we don't often hear another side to the story so when i saw this article i thought it was a good one to share Uh, to give a little bit of food for thought, if nothing else. So I'll just read you some of this article. It's a two-part article, and I would highly recommend that you go and read it. It is quite uh, interesting and, like I said, provides some food for thought. By Peter Van Buren. China and Taiwan know how to coexist, but the American defense establishment wants an enemy. This is part one of a two-part series. The United States and China will not go to war over Taiwan. China is not engaging in provocative actions leading to towards an invasion, so why the fuss? I prefer to let my argument speak for itself, but my background is relevant. As a US diplomat, I have served in Taiwan, Beijing, Hong Kong, as well as Korea and Japan, and I speak a bit of all of their languages. Many of my former colleagues who manage their careers better now hold senior positions in departments of state, states China and East Asian bureaucracies. I certainly don't speak for them, but I do speak to them. America has always been China's fickle partner. A World War II ally, the US backed away in 1949 after Mao took over, took power. Then, in the midst of the Cold War, Nixon opened China again, and the place was remade into a friendly bulwark against the Soviets. In 1979, the US diplomatically recognized Beijing and unrecognized Taipei. The US and China then grew into significant trading partners until sometime during the Obama years when China, without a clear precipitating event, morphed again into an adversary. The US called it pivot towards Asia. Trump and Biden have since upgraded China to a direct threat Biden has said, on my watch, China will not achieve its goal to become the leading country in the world, the wealthiest country in the world, and the most powerful country in the world. Along the way, China has always stayed pretty much the same. It is our fear of the same China that is that changes. The U.S. fears are mostly debunked. Take, for example, the boilerplate articles about Chinese incursions into Taiwan's airspace. Chinese aircraft are not flying over Taiwan. 
They are flying within Taiwan's self-declared air defense identification zone, the ADIZ. Look at a map of that zone and others declared by, for example, China and Japan. Taiwan's zone, uh, the one that Beijing is flying in, actually is large enough to cover thousands of miles of the Chinese mainland itself. Therefore, if PLA planes, therefore PLA planes are in violation when sitting on their own runways. Taiwan's zone also overlaps Beijing's zone, which overlaps Japan's zone and Korea's. Japan's ADIZ overlaps Taiwan's zone to take in a small island disputed between Ta- Tokyo and Taipei, a diplomatic, a diplomatic pillow fight the U.S. ignores. Crisscrossing everyone's zones are the American air- aircraft conducting freedom of navigation exercises. Known in Beijing as incursions, Chinese air flights are provocative only to the uninformed or those who want them who want to see them as provocative left unsaid as china supposedly provoking a fight in the air in october left unsaid was that as china was supposedly provoking flights in the air in october the us was simultaneously conducting some of the largest multinational naval exercises in the Pacific since World War II. As for an invasion of Taiwan, Beijing is accused of planning. No one has ever explained why they would undertake such an enormous risk in the face of so little to gain. Articles claiming Beijing is readying for a war are like a science fiction movie, which begins... With the premise, most people have disappeared from Earth and the story of the survivors begin. All the other complicated stuff are left assumed. No one seems willing to examine the reason China has no reason to invade Taiwan. China and Taiwan do loft rhetorical bombs at each other, but all the while maintaining a robust economic relationship. Between 1991 and March 2020, Taiwan's investment in China totaled 188.5 billion dollars more than china's investment in the united states cross-trade trade is 149.2 billion and china is taiwan's largest trading partner pre-covid travelers from china made 2.68 million visits to taiwan china applied in september to join the new comprehensive and progressive agreement for trans-pacific partners partnership A week later, with no opposition voiced by Beijing, Taiwan also applied. One country, two systems. Has not only kept peace for decades, it has proven it very darn darn profitable. As Deng Xiaoping said, one of the uh, on, on on this type of modus vivendi, who cares what color the cat is as long as it catches the mice? (laughs) What incentive would China have to bomb? one of its best customers. Anyway, that's a, that was a struggle to read, but it sort of gives you just a different idea of, of uh, what's happening. You know, we don't always know what's happening and it seems that we're getting a very one-sided fix on what is happening. And I'm sure there's much, I don't know enough about politics to really have an opinion about this, but I do like that this Mr. Van Buren wrote something like this and this is only half of the first part of that article. Uh, he has two parts written about it and it seems to be well researched and it definitely gives you a little bit of food for thought and something to consider when you see these things about 
war, war, war. Perhaps it's not it's not quite as bad as it as it sounds from one one part of the uh, one part of the news giving these reports. Okay, well, on the topic sort of of cross trade and all these things. Now we're on to Thailand. Travelers would have to show proof of vaccination with a jab recognized by health authorities in Thailand, excluding the Medigen vaccine. So this is for people who want to travel to Thailand. Thailand has added Taiwan to 16 countries to the to a quarantine exemption list to spur the revival of its tourism sector hit very hard by the COVID-19 pandemic. Starting this week, fully vaccinated travelers from Taiwan would no longer be required to quarantine upon arrival in the country. The Thai Government said, adding that travelers would have to inoculate travelers that are inoculated with the COVID-19 vaccine recognized by the Thai Ministry of Public Health has to be at least 14 days before their arrival. Additionally, travelers would need to have stayed in one of the listed countries for at least 21 days prior to their departure. They have to present a negative COVID reverse transcription polymerase chain reaction. RT-PCR test result within 72 hours of departure and proof of medical insurance covering $50,000 US. Well, it's a, quite a lot of other things you have to prepare, never mind the 14-day quarantine. Travelers from the listed countries would have to undergo another RT-PCR test upon arrival and stay in a designated quarantine hotel for only one night, it said. Adding once the second test results come back negative, travelers would be allowed to leave the facility. Thailand approves COVID-19 vaccines from AstraZeneca, Pfizer-BioNTech, Johnson & Johnson, Moderna, Sinopharm, Sinopharm, and Sputnik V. The Taiwan-made Medigen COVID-19 vaccine is not yet approved, has not yet been approved. So if you wanted to go to Thailand, there's your option. While we are on the topic of vaccines and so on, this is another article that was posted in the Taipei Times. I find this one particularly concerning. I don't like the idea of uh, giving government too much power and monitoring people, etc., etc. So this is from the um, an article that was posted on something that the mayor of Taipei has said this week. He was at some festival. And he sort of started uh, talking about vaccine passports for some reason. Taipei is likely to set up a COVID-19 vaccination passport system that would result in people being seated in different areas of a restaurant depending on their vaccination status, Mayor Ko, Taipei Mayor Ko, said this week. Ko made the remark at a news conference to promote the fun Guangdu Festival at Guangdu Temple in Beitou District. During the event... During the event's opening speech, Ko said that he expects more than 70% of Taipei residents would be fully vaccinated by the end of January and that Taiwan's COVID-19 situation would ease fully before the Chinese Lunar New Year. Theoretically, people would not need to wear masks after having received two doses, he said, adding that with the expected progress in covid 19 drug development, Taiwan could ease its border restrictions in, in January. People who have been vaccinated should people who have not been vaccinated should go get their shots as soon as possible because we will introduce a vaccination passport, Co said. Okay, the passport would be integrated with the Taipei Pass app, 
which would flash green if you're fully vaccinated, yellow for those who've had one shot and red for those who are unvaccinated. Fully vaccinated people would be able to choose their seats in a restaurant freely, while unvaccinated people would have to be seated in a separate part of the restaurant with table dividers, Co said. More than 60% of Taipei residents have received at least one vaccination dose, he said. As many people who are registered elsewhere live in the capital, it is also possible that the actual first dose coverage is about 70%, with 30% of people in Taipei being fully vaccinated, Co said. Ugh. The a vaccine production, the as vaccine production has accelerated, and Taipei can administer about forty thousand doses per day. I hope that fully vaccination rates will reach about six seventy percent by the end of the year. He said. Asked about Ko's statement on mask wearing, the Minister of Health and Welfare Chen Shichong said that masks mask mandates would not be fully eased before the Lunar New Year. Vaccinations would continue, said Chen, who led the Central Epidemic uh, Command Center, Central Epidemic Command Center, CECC. Centers of Disease Control Deputy Director General Chuang, who is the CECC spokesman, said that as long as there are COVID outbreaks abroad, wearing a mask would be the last line of defense to prevent the import imported cases from spreading to prevent imported cases from spreading uh, I have lots of issues with this um, I'm not at all agreeing that there should be any kind of segregation I don't think there should be a pass I don't think the government should have this much power to tell people where they should sit I mean if a family goes to eat at a restaurant together and the children have not been vaccinated, but the parents have, should they be separated? This creates a lot of problems. It does seem like the CECC is pushing back on this and, and not keen on doing this. Um, and I really hope that this is just another time that the Taipei mayor is speaking out of turn. Apparently, he's done this before. He says things just off the cuff, which have absolutely no, no uh, validity to facts. So let's hope that this is one of those cases, because I'm not keen at all on any kind of medical apartheid in Taiwan or any kind of discrimination in Taiwan against anyone for any particular reason, whether it's vaccines or anything else. Okay, let's shift gears to something a bit more exciting and less scary and less thought-provoking, <laughs> less serious, some happy news. And the first thing is the Community Services Center is having their Coming Together Gala it is on Friday, the 5th of November at 10, 6 p.m. to 10 p.m. at the Mandarin Oriental in Taipei. The Community Services Center's annual auction gala is a fun and lively way to support the services mission to improve mental health support uh, for the international community living in Taiwan. Every year, the center helps thousands of people, whether it's simply offering friendship on arrival in a new country, supplying information on how to live successfully in Taiwan or professional counseling when it is needed. The center is always here for you and your family and those you know. Also at the center on Saturday, the Movable Feast is a cultural food tour through the Da Daocheng da 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 area. Join Ivy to learn about local Taiwanese culture, history and food on this fun neighborhood foodie experience. We will begin this tour 
at a local market, then visit some famous old streets and explore some interesting shops. Along the way, we will have a chance to taste a selection of tasty treats. Our final destination is the neighbor in the neighborhood temple, where there are many small eateries that come to life during the lunch hour. What begins each day as a quiet space in front of the temple transforms into a festive street cafe. Here's a chance to join the party and enjoy your lunch with the locals. Lunch and tasting is included. Now, I have to mention that I see that there are notes saying the some of these events are full and waiting lists, etc., etc. So if you wanted to join, best is to, to contact the community service center. If you can't get on this week, I'm sure they this is something that they'll do either weekly or monthly or whatever. It sounds very popular. If you are into a music festival and camping and going out into the mountains, there is something happening in Miaoli, the Miracle 2021. It starts on November the 5th at 4 p.m. and ends on November the 7th at 4 p.m. So it's a two-day event. The venue for this event is located in the camping area of Miaoli San Juan, covering an area of 150,000 square meters. There's a total of nine camps with 90 bathroom facilities. That's good. The whole mountain is an open mountainous area and our paradise. During the ep epidemic prevention period, we will be setting up tents. Please keep a distance of 1.5 meters between them and see the event for ticket pricing, availability and regulations regarding COVID. So yeah, that's actually my note, that last one. So go and look at the event. There's a couple of things that you have to take in terms of identification, etc., etc., etc. Right, so that actually concludes this week's roundup. I want to thank everyone who has reached out and sent articles of things that are interesting, especially the Taiwan news articles. Since I don't read Chinese, it's always good to have people send me things. If you see something on the news or if you see an article that you think is interesting, that you think the English-speaking community in Taiwan might appreciate, or if you know of a new business that's opened or a nice restaurant you want to introduce, please send me a link or drop me a message. You can reach me through the Taiwan Roundup Facebook page or on Substack, taiwanroundup.substack.com, S-U-B-S-T-A-C-K, substack.com, or you can send me an email at taiwanroundup at gmail.com. That's Taiwan, R-O-U-N-D-U-P, roundup at gmail.com. This show is specifically to try and help the community reach each other and meet each other. So I very much want to know of entrepreneurs and people doing businesses and give a voice and maybe connect people that not necessarily would have had a possibility to connect with each other. That being said, <laughs> there is a lovely woman in Taipei, lovely lady in Taipei, doing charcuterie boxes. Charcuterie is cold cuts, cold meats. And from my understanding, I haven't had one of these yet, but from my understanding, she puts together two order boxes with cheeses and cold meats and things like that. I think it would be best at this point to let her introduce herself. Hey, this is Aura. 
Thank you for giving me the chance to introduce my new business. So the business is charcuterie boxes. I put together cold cuts imported from Italy, some cheese and sides such as veggies with branch and also olives with mixed nuts. Uh, coming soon, I will have a selection of Italian wines to pair them up with this, as well as some other homemade sauces. I'm doing this because I feel it's something that is a bit uncommon in Taiwan, but more people are getting into it, so why not bring in some fresh new ideas? I love cooking and I've been doing so for pretty much 20 years. Therefore, this is also my chance to introduce my cooking to everyone. If you would like to know more information, you can uh, reach me out at my Instagram account, RussoKitchenTW. That's R-U-S-S-O-K-I-T-C-H-E-N-T-W. Thank you. That's good. Thank you very much, Aura. And thank you to everyone for listening. And thank you for all the messages. And thank you for all the tips. And I will talk to you again next week. I hope you have a wonderful week ahead. Hope it doesn't get too cold this week. It's nice and sunny today. So hopefully the nice sunny weather continues. Cooler but sunny. That's what we want. And we'll talk again next week. Until then, ta-ta.